0: You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net/support. Hey, welcome to episode 89 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards, and I am David Lyons. And uh, you're dying again,
1: right? <laughs> I, I I am dying again. So if you've been a long-time listener to the show, uh, you may have noticed that I get, like, eerily sick several times a year. And uh, I I don't love being sick. I don't think anybody does. I don't handle it particularly well because it's annoying. Um, but I also <laughs> Losing control of my voice is really irritating. Like, <laughs> super irritating. So I went to the doctor And, uh, she was very nice. She was like, it was one of those take care clinics. So it wasn't like a primary and she was cool. She was very like interested in my medical history and trying to be, uh, constructive. The thing that freaked me out a little bit is she said, oh, so you get sinus infections like a lot, like more than three times a year is like way too often. How long have you been getting them that frequently? And I was like, well, I'm 30. So 30 years, (laughs) And she was like, yeah, that's not normal. That shouldn't be happening to you. Uh, have you been to an ENT? And I was like, um, no. She was like, why not? And I said, that <laughs> is a totally valid question. <laughs> no one in all of my years, even as an adult, you know, i like... I, maybe my parents, like they told them to send me to an ENT and they were jerks. I don't think that's the case. But yeah. even as an adult, like they never said, hey, you should probably not be getting sick as often. So I'm going to go see a specialist and maybe have part of my face cut out.
0: Just make sure when you do go that it's uh, a medical professional and not a giant old tree that talks really slow. <laughs> <laughs> Just check the credentials on the wall. It'll make it obvious. That might be <laughs>
1: my favorite joke of all time that you've ever made. Although Um, uh, on this topic, so we were talking about this earlier today in uh, our Slack uh, team and you within like seconds of me telling you that I was sick and we would have to delay recording, not launch the show late because so help me God, we never launched the show late, but uh, you know, we would have to delay recording. You found an Onion article about ENTs. Like how do they have satire for everything? It's magical.
0: (laughs) Uh, We should include that. It was a good one.
1: It really, you know, I actually, it's, it's one of the longer Onion articles, and I was like laughing the whole way through. Maybe, uh, maybe people who aren't sick all the time wouldn't find it as funny, but I've spent a lot of time in doctor's offices, so I was like, this is hilarious.
0: <laughs> um, the other little bit of stuff before we get into the show is, uh, according to my calculations from our, our uh, publishing interface, this is the 200th podcast episode that Sunrise Robot will have put out, and that's awesome.
1: It is awesome. And I think, do we have you to thank for that? Because didn't you miss a week on something?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Some Pope missed one. But um, I'm,
1: I'm not complaining because it's kind of an amazing coincidence that the founding show landed on like a milestone episode. So I'm, I'm, I'm not even mad. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I mean that's including before we launched Sunrise Robot, we had done 51 episodes of this show and you know a dozen or two of the pseudo show. But whatever, we got 200 shows out in the wild. That's cool. It's that shows that damn we're, cool. We're we're sticking with it. Um, we got some great topics today. And the first topic I kind of want to gush about Super Mario Maker. Um, We talked in a, you know, before it launched, there were some good articles about how, um, they were, you know, really in Nintendo fashion, had some great onboarding to new players, like, um, some interesting controls to make sure that levels weren't just troll levels that you die immediately. Like you're just hanging over a pit and you fall and it's like, (laughs) um, by requiring you to be able to complete your level before you're allowed to submit it for the world to see. And, uh, same thing, uh, you know, like they, they don't give you all the enemies and weapons and tiles right off the bat. You start out with like a very limited set. Um, that's all cool. We talked about that. Um, but there's uh, as I got to dig into it when I was uh, visiting my brother a, a week ago, um, there's some really cool features, uh, while you're building levels, some stuff that are nods to power users and not just, Hey, this is something anyone can play. And, uh, So, I just thought I'd rattle off some of these things as uh, things I really loved about Super Mario Maker. Um, First off, with the Nintendo gamepad, they've used the shoulder buttons to act as like modifier keys. So, you can quickly like hold. There's like, if you've never seen a Wii U gamepad, there's like a trigger and a shoulder, kind of like a lot of the other controllers have. Um, One of those will switch it into I'm ready to copy stuff, and the other one will switch it into. Let's see. If you hold both of them, it deletes. And if you hold the other one, uh, I can't remember the third thing. But anyway, (laughs) you have these modifier keys. So instead of tapping the, like there's still buttons for people who don't know how to do modifier keys, but they they basically built in power shortcuts to do stuff. So like, if you designed a really interesting little like square of stuff, like there's these pipes and this little plant comes out this way and there's a one-up mushroom here and you want to use that again in your level, it's very easy to drag a box around it drag and move that's smart you you have another one that's really
1: because otherwise it would just be a constant like i i don't want to ever do the same thing or a similar thing because i have to reinvent the wheel every time
0: yeah so you can select entire segments of your level and copy and paste and they found a way to do it without saying hook up a keyboard and mouse (laughs) and i think the touchpad i mean we've
1: talked a lot about like touch interfaces this is an excellent use of the touch interface yeah
0: so I, I've sort of found that the levels I, I tend to make is, uh, as someone who considers himself pretty great at Mario, I immediately go to, how could I make really difficult levels? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so a lot of my levels are focused on either full speed jumps to a single block that you have to land perfectly. <laughs> um, also with a either a spinning fire, like... <laughs> fire dick is for lack of a better term (laughs) but just the spinning fire or a hammer brother or something so you land your jump and you immediately have to dodge something else Um, or um, I like setting up the cannons and um, lots of cannons like the you know like Mario 3 airship cannons where you can jump off the cannonballs I like to set long gaps in levels where you have to hop on those in succession. and uh, So I would never finish any of your levels because <laughs> well, these all sound way too hard. I have to finish them, but it seems like me and Justin are pretty evenly matched, so it was a lot of fun. Like, um, it, It's kind of the perfect couch multiplayer game in the sense that people can be watching something else. It's like I don't want them to see the TV screen. I'm going to hold the gamepad and design a level for five or ten minutes. And then whatever show we're watching or wasting time on, I'm like, all right, I got a level, your turn. And then I hand him the gamepad and either we can switch the TV or he can just play on the gamepad. It's just like so perfect for that.
1: Yeah, I like that. I never really thought about using it that way because I imagine people like obsessing over every little detail, but you don't have to, especially if you have someone local. You don't have to worry about beating it. You can just be like, hey, I made a level.
0: Here you go. Here's the controller. (laughs) And uh, I think one of the most fascinating things, especially getting the chance to play locally, is uh you design your level and you're thinking of this certain way of beating it, and you see how another player just hacks your level and you're like, <laughs> "Oh, you found a shortcut i hadn't even thought of, and that just made it so much easier like Justin made a level, and he accidentally put a cape in it, and I just flew over everything <laughs> and he was like, "No,
1: <laughs> this is not how I imagine this playing out
0: um, but still one of the most tense and challenging Mario things that ever happens is flat ground and a hammer bro and like small Mario like that alone is just like the the most core like oh man this sucks well and I didn't realize
1: until I watched some more Mario Maker videos that it's like, oh, you can make any Mario level you can imagine and also <laughs> lots of things you never thought of because there's like weird power-ups and like you can make Bowser pop out of a pipe and like start yeah. wailing on you. <laughs> like You can do all kinds of things that as a 10-year-old, you probably were like, wouldn't it be funny if Bowser came out of that pipe? It's like, And instead of kind of uh, bounding you in the rules of previous level design, they sort of just opened it up. And yeah. then I know they added like the spiky helmet uh, power-up that kills thwomps. yeah, um, and some other like other helmet style kind of power ups, right?
0: Yeah, and you can do the kabuki shoe, and uh, if someone dies in your level a lot, it gives them this weird like other kind of mushroom that turns Mario into this super tall, skinny weirdo who can jump like twice as high. So. Okay. I s- suppose for certain kinds of level designs <laughs> that would help you, but um it was funny. Yeah, it seems like there could actually be a liability to be a larger target. <laughs> yeah. Um I forgot to mention one of the other awesome things. And so um, number one, when you're in editing mode, you can hop into play from any point of your level v- Pretty much instantaneously, you just move Mario to where you want to start and hit play, or there's actually a button if you don't have to tap on the screen. Instantly, you're in the game, and it just you know you're you're playing, and it resets when you die or if you stop being in edit uh, play mode. Um, the other thing is after you play part of your level, it. It shows on screen a little Mario trail. So if you're measuring how far Mario can jump, you just have a visual trail of where he moved. Oh so you know his exact arc and yeah.
1: you're like, oh, I made a gap. That's impossible to cross.
0: Yeah, so that those things, just those little touches they just baked through um to make it easier. And you don't have to memorize it's ten blocks he can jump. You just you know I'll just start the level and jump and see how far I get, and then that's where I put in the block.
1: So all of these tools seem incredibly sophisticated like little big planet was a lot of fun but the level design tools were not this sophisticated do you kind of get the feeling that someone in nintendo was like building the next mario game and they were like oh my god why don't we just release the tools we use to make (laughs) mario games
0: yeah (laughs) definitely um I, don't know, I would love to see this applied to some other games. I would love Capcom to release a Mega Man Maker. I think that would be amazing. And uh, a few things I didn't put in Mario Maker that I would really like is uh, give me a, a bitmap you know, sprite creator. Let me design my own sprites. Um, that would be fun. Even to the point of like, all right, you're doing a Mario. Like You get these frames of animation you need to create because that could have been a lot of fun.
1: You think there's any chance they would patch something like that
0: in, or is it just kind of like, no, they don't want to go that far? Not given Nintendo's history, I've never seen them patch <laughs> anything except for bug fixes.
1: <laughs> That's fair.
0: They're not big on DLC, are they? But I, I really think Mega Man would be a great candidate for a maker game. Um, just the idea that you could set up a, a eight robot masters and design, like, they could, within reason, give you a lot of latitude on, like, wh- how does their weapon shoot? What does it do? And, like, um, that could be a lot of fun.
1: Unfortunately, Capcom has decided they hate money. They hate it so much. Like, the only property they're willing to make money from is Street Fighter. Everything else, they're just like, meh.
0: But there's definitely an intact like. There's lots of real levels, but there's lots of novelty levels I've already encountered and just seen featured on websites, like uh, just ones where it just says hold right, and then it's just like one of those automated crazy Rube Goldberg machines that bounces Mario around perfectly to the end. Yeah, I'm sure because I mean people have been doing that in the
1: modder community for as long as there's been ROMs. Yeah, so I'm I'm sure that they were like, oh, thank God, finally. Like, I can just do this without all this crazy, like, I don't need a Rube Goldberg machine to build my Rube Goldberg machine.
0: I think the fact that those levels exist just kind of speaks to how tightly designed Mario is, though, that they can rely on timings and bounces and the way things are loaded and appear, that it's so consistent that they can design these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a certain purity to that. I kind of really respect where... It's it's like you you are aware you're playing a video game when you play a Mario game, like every single jump is the maximum height and the maximum arc if you want it to be. He never falls short. It's never like oh I took one step too many off the ledge. Like those things can be timed perfectly, consistently. Whereas in uh, I meant to tell you I played the expansion for Last of Us or the the yeah. DLC, and there was this that one puzzle with like the electrified water. So I'm on top of the truck and I was like, huh, it looks like they want me to try and jump over to that thing. And in the back of my mind, it was just like, no, this game is not a platformer. they jumping is never the solution. So I jumped and died and then I had to stare like an idiot at the ceiling for like 30 seconds until I was like, oh, they want me to climb over there. Okay. That makes way more sense. It would have been weird if this one and only one time jumping was the solution. Yeah. Wall jump, just
0: woohoo! Wah-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie,
1: you're so acrobatic.
0: <laughs> so I think that's all I had to gush. I, I do want to recreate... So the one thing to complain about, which is because I came home from my brother's place and I have my own copy, and I get to look forward to days and days of the game dangling little bits of its interface <laughs> in front of me, and I really would have appreciated. So if, I, I know we talked about this that um, it gradually reveals new blocks to you. Um, If they were to just buried, even if it was deeply buried or a a cheat, a Konami code or something, to say, hey, just give me everything. Like, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I already played this game somewhere else. Like, let me just start with everything.
1: It'd be kind of cute if they did... Uh, the thing that was sort of started, I think, on the PS1, where if it looked at like your virtual console library and it was like, oh, this guy owns six copies of every Mario game. Let's just maybe assume he wants all the toys.
0: Well, it's too bad Psychomantis isn't in Mario Maker to do that for us. <laughs> so
1: um i don't know if you got a chance to watch this extreme mario maker video no now i put it in the show notes and i just want to be really clear because i know a few of our listeners listen to the show with with their kids or kids in the car that kind of thing uh this particular youtube video has a tremendous amount of swearing so do not play that if you don't want to hear a lot of swearing but it's it's a guy uh playing these different Mario Maker levels and he he has a whole YouTube channel around let's plays that are like heavily edited, lots of smash cuts to just the funniest parts. And the the whole video it's like 6 or 7 minutes or something and it, it's mostly funny. Um but two things. One, I'm pretty sure the narrator is the same narrator for Ladder Goat. So <laughs> if you like Ladder Goat, it's I think it's the same guy. It's definitely the same style. <laughs> Let me see your face. <laughs> um but the other thing that I liked about it is one of the first levels that he shows is uh, it's just a straight run, you know, like you said, on totally flat ground. So Mario's running, 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 and it gets to the end, and he's about to jump on the flag, and he hits a coin block, like an invisible one, <laughs> yes. and then Bowser pops out and starts chasing him, and he's running back, and there's just it's just all coin blocks all the way down until you get to the very beginning of the level, and then you can jump on top of the coin blocks. But of course there were huge sections he missed. So now like he's going to end up pinning himself between the one block you can jump up and where Bowser is like trying to attack him. So <laughs> I, I was actually like, it's a really simple level with a really obvious solution, but it's really devious like you don't have to be an expert player, you just have to be clever. Whereas, like, the levels you're building sound like you have to be an expert player, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he goes on and shows some other, like, truly malicious levels. But if you, you want to check that out, and if you've never seen Ladder Goat, which I think also has quite a bit of swearing, <laughs> yes, those,
0: those two videos will be in the show notes. Mostly him complaining about his stomach hurting from laughing, but yeah, some swearing, <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, I've been targeting the expert level. Um, So another fun thing I've done a lot of is uh, turtle shells to cleverly break bricks back and forth. That's a lot of fun to design. Um, There's just so much to do, and it's so easy to hop in and start playing with it, and they they just did such a good job with this game. Have you built any levels where
1: if you make a single mistake, the level is now unwinnable? So like if you hit this certain you know block now you can't clear that jump or if you throw a turtle shell and it's like no you needed that turtle shell later <laughs> there
0: there was a few early on that were kind of like really troll levels like that but you know, you hand it to your brother, and then you watch him play, and you're like, "This isn't really that fun." I want to make, I want to watch him beat my level, and be really satisfied that he was able to beat my level, oh. not just like I hate you. Why? Good
1: guy level designer, Mike. <laughs> so here's a question I didn't think of till just now. Actually, you can change. I gotta come over to your place and, and play this because it looks so much fun. <laughs> but you can choose, um, like, does it look like Mario One or Mario Three or Super Mario World? Are there others?
0: Um, It's one, three, world, and the like Wii U, new Super Mario. Oh, right.
1: The worst of them all. (laughs) So, when you make it look like those different Marios, do you also have the limitations? Because, like, in the Wii U Mario, he can do the little triple flip, even though it's 2D. And in, uh, you couldn't pick stuff up in the original Mario. So, like, your level design, the way it looks, does that key you into what powers you have?
0: Yeah, as far as Mario's abilities, he has the abilities he had in those games. So if you use the Wii U tile set, he does get the little extra float if you shake the controller kind of thing. Okay. Um, You can wall jump. Can you change mid-level? Like, can you make him go down a pipe and on the other side it's all different? I haven't seen, I don't know if that's possible. I think you choose one tile set a level, but it's really instantaneous in the editor. If you're like, just kidding, let's try Mario 1. You tap a (laughs) button and the screen just wipes down and you're immediately in the other mode. So that's... Another nice. thing like people would be discouraged from switching a lot if it was really annoying, like converting your level. Um <laughs> The only weird thing is uh they did backport some of the you know, like cannons weren't in Mario One where they there were bullet bills, but they weren't like the circle Mario Three cannons. Oh the Mario
1: Three cannon, yeah. So
0: those can be in the Mario One tile set, but Mario's abilities are restricted to what he was.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised that they I mean with all the weird power-ups and stuff. It makes sense to open the tile set up a little, but that is interesting because uh, like I, I've only played the Wii U one a little bit because it's awful, <laughs> but you can uh, you can do stuff in that that you can't do in the earlier Mario. So you may have been awesome at Super Mario World, and then you play somebody's Wii U tile set level and just get your ass handed to you because yeah. you're like, oh, I didn't know he could do the little triple jump and the little floaty thing.
0: Yeah, that is another level type I made, the one based on lots of wall jumps, and it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> I'll and, bet. And lots of pipes with a, a plant coming out of every single one. So <laughs> <laughs> That was one of the worst
1: parts of uh, Super Metroid, that part where you have to like wall jump up a yeah. little corridor, and then they never make you do that again for like the whole game, because yeah. then later you have the super jump.
0: Yeah, it's it's a weird ability in that game because it's really the basis of so many speedruns is that you can
1: (laughs) do that to get places, but... Ah, dude, Metroid would be another
0: excellent candidate for this. I agree. A lot of Nintendo's games. Imagine a Zelda dungeon designer. I mean... Ooh. Just block pushing and keys and all that. I mean, with,
1: with the huge success for Mario Maker, do you think... I mean, I know Nintendo likes to just shirk... (laughs) <laughs> the obvious next step, because they can, right? They can. They don't have to just like give in to peer pressure from their their customers, because they still produce awesome stuff. But holy crap, yeah. a Super Metroid style like level builder and a, a Zelda one would be awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder how they do it because I don't think they'd want to launch a create an entire Zelda game with towns and NPCs. But if it was just focused on dungeons specifically, which I've said on the show many times is my favorite thing in Zelda games, is yes, because there is no other part of Zelda <laughs> games, there's just the time between dungeons. <laughs> yeah, and where you're yelling about which NPC do I have to talk to, press A to continue. Uh, so we have some tech topics this week, not just game gushing like last week. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the ones was an interesting article from Ben Evans called uh, Mobile is Not a Neutral Platform. And he was contrasting web and mobile, um, and uh, especially the way that Android and iOS um, kind of get to control and change the rules of how user acquisition and engagement happens. Um, they they set up the OS standards for notifications, for um, even in some cases what kinds of login pages you can have in your apps. I know Google doesn't really enforce much, but, um, you know, do I get access to contacts? Do I do all these things? And, uh, even if you, you think the, these platform owners are being fair or the rules make sense, there is the fact that they control it. And it's not like the web where anyone can do anything. And so that was sort of the basis of this article that, um, the web was more neutral, mobile is not neutral. And so I thought that would be an interesting topic to kind of hash out here.
1: Do you think part of that grows out of uh, how recent mobile is compared to the web? Because a lot of things you can do on the web now with like interaction and access to the hardware, like, oh, you want to use your webcam and microphone? You don't need special software, you can just do WebRTC. Like, all of that took you know decades of the web being developed and local notifications like all this stuff that we take for granted on mobile like of course this app can give me a notification on mobile why wouldn't it that'd be stupid so there's there's some something to say about uh like who came first so like the web kind of set the way and then these the mobile platforms were able to come in and be like yeah these are obviously good ideas we're just going to have these out of the (laughs) game. yeah
0: (laughs) there's that um but i I do think it's interesting because like you know there's lots of hay made about you know the way apple takes 30% of stuff and doesn't let you have alternate sign up routes or alternate like pricing forms for you know, like you can't do in app purchases right um, you know there's yeah you can't do paid upgrades it's got to be
1: like a new install that kind of thing there's
0: like this weird don't ask don't tell like if you're using the kindle app you can buy through Amazon, but they can't <laughs> tell you that you can go buy. They just show you what you have bought. And it's just like this weird, like, we have a store, but we're not allowed to say, we like, you, rule number one is you do not talk about the Kindle <laughs> store.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I feel like a lot of those things uh, are kind of passe. Like, you can recognize user hostile design pretty easily when you have such a robust review process like Apple does, but they don't seem to have a problem with like three-year-olds spending thousands of dollars in stupid (laughs) games and in-app purchases because they get a cut of that. (laughs) So like it, would they feel the same about these other things if they also got a cut or if they didn't get a cut on either, would they be so restrictive?
0: Yeah. I also think this article kind of ignores that the AOL version of the early web that really was pretty much as non-neutral as you could as argue. Possible, yeah, um, yeah. There's sort of the the hippie computer science, actual beginning of the web that only smart people used, but not smart people, people, tech people. <laughs> I didn't mean to imply non-tech people weren't smart, but um, <laughs> the, I mean there was just as many attempts at a proprietary web. I mean, the history of Internet Explorer kind of tells us a game of browsers trying to basically turn the ship that way too. And thankfully we didn't end up there. Like there's lots of things you could complain about the web today, but it's not a single vendor annoyingly controlling. S- some everything.
1: of those some of those hooks are still there. Cause I mean how many times have we made the joke and actually observed like, oh I can't update my browser because I need IE6 to access my stupid company you know, intranet or web app or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's adorable. So this is like 15-year-old software? Um, You might think about updating this because what are you going to do long-term? Just like run IE6 in a virtual machine? And I mean, they pushed what you could do on the web forward a lot in concept. Like, here are ideas for things people would want to be able to do on the web, but then they did it in a super proprietary lockdown way that it took years for the actual like standards boards to agree on and do like across the board i think uh the swift on security twitter account just like a few hours ago tweeted something like microsoft should rename it to intranet explorer (laughs) and i was like that'd be really funny if i didn't actually have to deal with that like as recently as a
0: couple jobs ago (laughs) yeah surprisingly late it's like needing a a floppy disk to install something you're like what (laughs) um so I, you know, we're picking apart this: was the web really as free and you know perfect unicorn of freedom as as <laughs> we thought? Um, even if that comparison is flawed, I don't disagree that mobile is not a neutral platform, which is kind of the main thrust of his article. And uh, yeah, we did. I, I that was my fault. I kind of went after the straw and, man there. <laughs> and so I, I do think that's sort of the like. You know, thankfully, we don't have only one dominant mobile platform, but, you know, like it is sort of a source of concern long term. Like, um, Nobody liked Ubuntu's mobile thing or, or Firefox OS. <laughs> like there was no traction, but long term, wouldn't it be great to have like Android is doing a lot of it, but imagine even like a completely independent OS that has like, is this just the way the industry goes? Proprietary first. And then you try to rest control free to something that is independent and open later. Well, I'm convinced that
1: this is going to be the year of Linux on the phone. <laughs> this is it, 2015. I know we only have a couple months left, but this is our year. Yeah. No, I I think you're right. I, there's a an argument to be made, particularly in tech, that these things grow out of a proprietary place, so they're very proprietary at first, and then people start copying and duplicating, and everyone kind of realizes, um, hey, uh, what if we just standardized this and we didn't have to keep reinventing the wheel, right? And that's where you see stuff like uh browser notifications being standardized and web rtc is like on its way to being standardized and css is is you know a, a standard we all rely on and you get really robust web applications out of those standards that can like as you like to say play in that space and try and do interesting <laughs> things um but with the phone i think the phone is tricky because Well, so on Apple's side, like you don't buy an Apple product because you want to roam the world like Kane from Kung Fu. Like you buy an Apple product because you want the Apple experience. For better or worse, like that's what you want. You want their software and their hardware. With Android, as much as I love Google, they did kind of make a a cheap shot by saying, hey, anybody can use Android. I mean, not, not our stuff. (laughs) <laughs> like that's that's ours. You can't have that. But like you can have, you know, the the base part, the kernel. You know, there's cool stuff in there. If you want to go do your thing,
0: yeah. And at a certain level, like does Apple say that about OS ten? Like, hey, we have some very limited parts of our system. Like that'd be even more disingenuous because so much of OS ten is not the open source part. But yeah. <laughs> um, so how. How do you think this could
1: be opened up? Like is it up to like a Google or an Apple to just kick the doors open and be like, "All right, our stuff is out there." Or are they just never going to do that because why in God's name would you give up control if you weren't forced to?
0: Yeah, I mean, how what would be your way, like technologically it's simple someone could ship an open source OS. The problem is how do you get any adoption? How do you like the carriers, the the entire like go-to-market strategy is just screwed. You have no way in. Well, and let's be honest—at least in
1: America—I don't know how it is overseas. I would love for someone to tell me it's not as bad overseas as it is here. But yeah. the carriers have so much control. So if somebody ships an open-source OS, then Verizon, which is like renowned for doing this, can just be like, "No, not on our network." Because if we can't put crap on there and we can't lock it down, what if they abuse the network? Which I didn't think of this till just now, but they freaking sell wireless hotspots which means you can connect any device to their network without their permission because you have a freaking wireless hotspot that's like oh my god i just made myself so much more angry
0: so i mean you could argue in far in terms of computer history that um smartphones are starting to get past their adolescent phase and maybe being pretty mature. And so does it just take smartphones becoming as boring as laptops that you start to get alternatives that can crop up? Cause it feels like in the early years when things are moving so fast, like year to year, the phones seem wildly improving. Um, I don't feel like that's the case anymore. 3d touch is not like the difference between going to a retina screen or something like that. Um, you designer you
1: <laughs> i i don't know it's they kind of found a clever strategy cuz with apple it i mean apple's apple like it's our hardware and our software and that's okay and i don't remember the exact particulars of the antitrust uh lawsuit against microsoft with the internet explorer being shipped as the default but couldn't you make a really similar argument against Google shipping Android phones with all the cool Google stuff on there? Or is it because you don't have to ship an Android phone with all that stuff? So it's like, yeah, you're gonna, obviously you're going to, but Hey, you don't have to.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what got Microsoft was there was no viable alternative. The OEMs had literally no other option. Nothing else besides windows was going to sell. And, uh, is that the case with smartphones? Because <laughs> Apple's not going to give them their OS. And I saw an article suggest that the, if Google gets in trouble, the the answer should be that Apple has to provide a version of their OS. And I was like, the, <laughs> why are you punishing Apple? Like, Take away their ability to say, we have the iPhone, the only place you get this stuff, just to compete with Google. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was kind of an insane suggestion to me.
1: I do feel like these antitrust things are are fascinating but bizarre because with microsoft saying like oh hey we make a web browser and nobody else makes one they can anybody could make a web browser for windows but they haven't so we provide one
0: no there were like, other browsers there was just no other os that the oems could reasonably ship to market
1: uh maybe i'm misremembering but i i thought it was because of course you were going to ship windows and Windows automatically came with Internet Explorer, It was they were using their OS dominance to move into the browser space. So
0: you're so close. It was, (laughs) of course you're going to ship Windows. You're not allowed to ship Windows unless you preload IE instead of Netscape. And so it was using the, of course you're going to ship Windows, to say you can't do that other thing.
1: Okay, so if that's the case, that's exactly why Google is not under threat of that specific problem because you can ship android without all the google stuff but you won't. Yeah. You know, they they're not requiring you to as a company, they're not even requiring you to at the software level since it's open source and you could compile it yourself, but you won't. Not in America, not in any parts of Europe I'm familiar with. I know China does this a lot. I know Africa does it a lot and a little bit of the Middle East, but in America, like who the hell is going to sell an android phone without google stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean a lot of Google stuff comes out u s first uh, anyway, and so like u s users I think are very you know there 's not hardly any Apple users I know that don 't have a bunch of Google accounts um, and so it 's kind of not a not a starter here, but definitely other places uh, their companies have a chance where they can invent the full stack like all right we 'll get a of notif- we 'll you know figure out all the apis that the Google Play Store provides, and we 'll create our own versions. Um, but that 's a that 's a tough game, I mean to basically re implement a lot of that stuff
1: yeah it 's uh, i this is such a frustrating problem because I love the Google stuff like I love those software you know touches, I love their design aesthetic, I love where they 're taking the product i don 't want their success to screw other people out of the market because I want competition, but man, I really love the like the way <laughs> they 've chosen to do things. And I am consistently frustrated that my Galaxy S6 has not just carrier bullshit on it, but also, um, Samsung crap on it. There's like, I don't want any of that Samsung crap on there and I can't remove, there's like a couple, it's not all, you can't remove it, but (laughs) the vast, vast majority of it you cannot remove.
0: So another distinction I want to make about this whole mobile is not neutral thing is, uh, there are a lot of ways in which, I mean, we we hinted at it, that being non-neutral has been good for users. I mean, a platform can be set up in a way that biases app development towards good-for-user things. Um, whether that's just some consistency or... Um, I don't have any specific examples in mind. but the, I mean that, That's that,
1: the benevolent dictatorship, right? Basically.
0: and uh, But I think it's easy to argue there's plenty of them that really only benefit the platform owner. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the long-term concern, that it would be more so on the, this is only good for Apple instead of this is good for everyone. So
1: not being a legalist, um, I'm not a lawyer, Mike. <laughs> uh, I want to step way, way back and... Just ask, like, are private companies, I mean, I guess they're publicly traded, but like, are are these companies compelled to benefit their market? And if so, why? Why do we expect Apple to do things that are good for anyone but Apple or Google to do things good for anyone but Google? Like, it's an interesting thing in tech where we're like, no, you have to push the whole industry forward. And it's kind of like, why do they do that?
0: Well, I mean, this is where you have the the intersection of government and commerce and where all sorts of things can go wrong, because that's really governments that take an interest in consumer protection laws and um, basically regulation, deciding that it's better for society to have some of these rules or better for setting up what they call an iron triangle, which is regulation commerce and so like companies pay politicians to help them get elected politicians oh, yeah. put forth legislation that benefits those companies like it's um it's a hard I, thing i can't
1: imagine a world in which that happens it sounds awful <laughs> that's oh, a wait.
0: Uh, there's, there's a name for it it's called the iron triangle <laughs> and it's really hard to break because it benefits everyone in the triangle really well
1: and a triangle
0: is the strongest
1: shape in nature <laughs> right or is it the arch is it a triangle or an arch
0: I don't know, but when yeah. we make domes, we're basically using triangles anyway. It's true. Oh, Bucky, you were so smart. <laughs> Too bad your houses were ugly. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know where we go from from here, but I I would love to see it evolve. Like you know, I referred to can smartphones become as boring as laptops in the sense that something else can emerge, and it's not this giant race that only <laughs> proprietary companies with huge. Um, you know war chest to spend on r and d kids get involved do you think in a way uh
1: this has already happened at kind of like a a middle tier level and my example for this is you have an apple phone you got an apple smart watch phone and <laughs> and you probably like every other iphone owner i've ever met have a folder of uninstallable Apple apps that you hate. <laughs> you do, don't you? Yep. Yeah. So you could argue that even in Apple's super controlled walled garden, there's still enough openness that the device is useful while totally ignoring all of those apps. Now, I don't think you can replace things like the dialer, but there's mail apps, there's calendar apps, there's What's contacts a dialer? apps. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> So yeah, I guess that one doesn't matter because nobody uses it. <laughs> but yeah, like all the other core functionality that Apple ships with, I think there's alternatives for nearly all of it, right?
0: Yeah. Um and I actually saw some speculation that their their extensions and even their, you know, well, Maligned keyboard, third party keyboard system that even though these things aren't great on iOS right now, that they could be building blocks to letting you switch default apps in some sort of really well integrated way. I think this is an interesting time for
1: Android v. iOS because uh, for a long time when Google first launched Android, it was like way too much the Wild West, like just anything was allowed. And then They kind of like roped it in a little bit, but at the same time, you know, there was the untimely passing of Steve Jobs and the company moving over to Tim Cook and he's opened a lot of stuff up. So if you're Google, isn't part of you thinking like, oh crap, we were relying on them to be like the evil overlords that we compared ourselves to. if they start opening up, like we have to now think of ways to stay open or open things back up because the comparison is getting narrower.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is sort of like our political party. There's looking more and more the same. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I noticed I do have to ask you, you, you mentioned in the notes here the Facebook phones, which didn't they try like two or three times?
0: Yeah, and they they had a whole uh, launcher that they put on Android that went nowhere. I remember trying it on my Nexus Four just for a day to be like, What if I what if I just gave my life over to Facebook, like a religious conversion? Um but you can tell that that's sort of <laughs> to the point of the the platform being non-neutral, and Facebook's like, we don't want to have to bow down to Google or Apple. We like we want in that, on that platform layer. We want to make the platform.
1: We want to own the the whole thing. Oh no! Wait, it turns out this is really hard. <laughs>
0: you can't just walk in there.
1: Yeah. They, oh God. They. I think they had two dedicated phones. They had the overlay for Android. And then didn't they have the HTC phone that had a dedicated, like, share this on Facebook button, like a hardware button?
0: Yeah, that's the weirdest one of all to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I respect HTC for trying something new, but (laughs) was it not a little bit more obvious that that was going to fail? Like, the first time I saw an ad for that, I was like, no,
0: (laughs) nope. That's why the MySpace buttons on laptops failed in the, never mind, that never happened. (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to picture that in my mind i was like wait a minute i was just trying to think of another hardware button that would just look anachronistic or just like completely like why did you do that chrome os does have a dedicated search button in place of caps lock Uh, but that's that's
1: actually like useful so
0: but at least search as a concept is abstract enough to apply to anything into the future like it's not like Google this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause if you set a, I think if you set an alternative default search, it still opens your default search, not automatically Google. It's not a hardware Google button. Yeah. Which is nice when it's a, Google made piece of hardware with Google software
0: and they're still like, hey, you're going to search on Google anyway. Yeah, we don't even have to (laughs) close this down because no one's going to switch.
1: If you wanna make DuckDuckGo your default because your privacy not. That's fine, but the rest of you are going to search on Google. (laughs) And even you DuckDuckGo guys are going to switch back (laughs) within a week. I know a couple diehard holdouts and uh, that's fine for them. (laughs) (laughs) They're allowed to be different. True. Um, uh, Tell me about Twitter's Moments. So
0: Twitter which long, sounds
1: like a terrible daytime TV show.
0: I don't know why it's always weird to me when uh, I hear like one of these social media companies refer to like a new part of their website as a feature or, or no, as product. Like we launched a new product called Moments, and I think it's because I'm not paying for it, so it just feels like, oh, this isn't. A product in the normal sense. But um, anyway, that, that feeling aside, Twitter launched a new product called Moments. <laughs> and uh, basically, they collect stories of the day and grab like what are the best or funniest or whatever tweets, and they gather them together, and you can go through a story about each thing. So the example might be Donald Trump and Jeb Bush have been kind of having a little Twitter spat lately, um, basically because Trump said his brother... Didn't keep us safe. And then there's this big argument about 9 11 going on. It's really stupid politics. But In any case, Twitter's like, here's a moment. This was a thing that was a story in our society today. And it's sort of playing that curating role to gather tweets. And it's actually a lot like, you know, I've seen like BuzzFeed and Huffington Post kind of have these kind of articles where they're basically embedding tweets and they have a tiny little sprinkle of snark or exposition (laughs) in between each tweet. And that's basically what Moments is without that exposition. It's just the curation. And here, look at this story.
1: So are you and I seeing the same moments or are we seeing the same moments because of our location? How how does it know what I care about?
0: I Which it know. obviously doesn't, by the way. I'll get to that. Um, I bet they're not the same, but it probably is based on who we follow. So maybe they're largely the same. What's on your moments page right now? You should I uh, do so some live research? My, yeah, my, my number one... There's only like nine things on here. It's a pretty short list,
1: but my number one moment is uh, the... NLCS game Two Cubs versus Mets. Don't care. Yeah. Could I just, I'm not a baseball fan. I don't really care. Uh, Number two is Patriots versus Colts (laughs) care even less. Uh, Number three is uh, a typhoon. So we're the same. Okay. Yes. And then the Bush Trump and yeah. So I care about none of, I mean, this is a 0% success rate. I just like, could they not have based this on anything they know about me? They have years of data, they know who I follow, they know the kinds of things I favorite and retweet. Like this to me is an instant non starter, because as soon as I opened this, I was like, Nope.
0: Still a whole lot of
1: nope, nope, nope.
0: Yeah. Um do you think this is indicative of it being a bad idea or are you just a weirdo? <laughs> no, I think it's an, in
1: <laughs> I think if you and I are seeing the exact same ones in the same order because of a larger grouping, like if it's all Americans, not just the fact that we happen to live like relatively close in the same state, but if these are generally the same for all Americans, I think this is a specific, uh, grab toward the middle. Like the average American watches baseball. The average American watches football. The average American is following the presidential debate to some extent. Yeah. And, and that's why those kinds of things are in here. But I feel like that's not representative of the average Twitter user. You got a lot of tech people. You got a lot of young people who don't, I presume don't really care about some of these things, especially because more than half of these are sports stories. Like, is there nothing else going on? No other moments guys?
0: Yeah. Um, so I think the pitch behind this is Twitter is hard for new users. It's, a giant blast. Who do I follow? I don't even know. There's a lot of jargon. What's a retweet? What's a, you know, favorite maybe is a little easier to understand, even though they kind of ruined what favorites means. But, (laughs) um, you know, what are, what all these things? Am I doing a quote retweet? Am I just doing a normal one? What, what does that mean? And uh, you know, the argument is we need some kind of hook that is easier to get. And here's a prepackaged set of great tweets about topics you're probably gonna recognize. And then if you want to drill down, you can click on entertainment or fun or, you know, see some other ones. And so that's I think the pitch and is that they don't want to give away that, you know, let BuzzFeed do the curation, let Huffington Post do the curation. We want to be the center of the attention.
1: That's that's probably actually incredibly insightful that they are trying to rest back control of people linking to tweets in mass they're like hey uh we could probably link to tweets we are twitter after all yeah um but so i'm looking i I just switched to the fun one because i like fun fun is fun (laughs) and uh the first one on that list is a link to a mashable article cat begrudgingly entertain your enthusiasm for halloween and it's like, you know what? That would be an excellent tweet because it's like less than 140 characters. It's kind of funny. There's a funny picture. Don't really need like a full article about that. So, I don't know. Maybe there's potentially yeah. merit
0: to this. Yeah, they've gathered a whole bunch of silly, angry cats in costumes.
1: <laughs> yeah, this I I can't imagine myself ever coming in here just because I cared a lot about who I follow. Like I don't follow a ton of people cause I'm one of those nut jobs that reads my whole timeline. So I really curate that down. Um, I've actually unfollowed some celebrities cause they moved on to like another project and now that's all they're talking about. I'm like, okay, I'm done with you now. Maybe I'll come back later. But I, I could, I could see the appeal of this. The today one being the default, I think is what turned me off. because all that happened today was sports and politics, so <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, I don't care about any of that. So when I came in here, my gut reaction was like, "Not for me." Yeah.
0: So I wonder if it'll work out. I mean, I think that people have constantly been saying Twitter like has all these users, but can't really do like what do they do with them? Like Facebook has monetized their users so well, and like um, they drive traffic to websites so well. Um, and Facebook controls that like, yeah, your friends choose what they share, but you know, what gets surfaced in your feed, Facebook has a huge amount of influence and, uh, Twitter doesn't have that influence. And every time they try to mess with the timeline, everyone revolts cause they're like, no, I chose who to follow.
1: Well, this is an interesting, I mean, this is the problem of Silicon Valley, right? Which is a useful communication service that really supports, uh, comedians and brevity and is is designed for a specific thing, not necessarily a successful business. Like utility and business used to go hand in hand when it was like a physical thing. And you were like, oh, I'll sell you this wrench that I made in my blacksmith shop. But I don't think you make wrenches in a blacksmith shop, but <laughs> but like I'll sell this to you, but I have to like I have to charge you because then I I need to like buy more materials and make more wrenches in this fantasy blacksmith shop I've invented. <laughs> but with software, it's a lot harder because the the open web is generally free. We've gotten used to everything being free. App.net tried to see this and say like, oh, Twitter is useful on its own. Let's build that and then just charge a little money for it with our alpha service. Turns out people didn't want to do that.
0: Yeah. And they they couldn't generalize the services behind building platforms like this.
1: Right. I mean, when you consider the amount of brainpower and desire to make money, that is probably like, oh my God, how do we get money out of these Twitter users? If they haven't come up with a business model yet, it makes me a little skeptical. Maybe this service cannot be monetized well without breaking the utility of the service that drew everybody in in the first place.
0: Yeah. you going to use Moments? Uh, only if I use the official Twitter app, because it's just a big middle finger to third-party clients every single time they do one of these things. Yeah.
1: And that's actually exactly why I didn't even really know about this, because it turned out literally within like 30 hours of them announcing this, I happen to have switched to TweetBot. (laughs) So I'm using TweetBot on my iPad and on my Mac. And then I have Phoenix, which is a good third party client on my Android phone. And of course they don't have this and will probably never have this.
0: Yeah. What drives me nuts, uh, I like TweetBot a lot, but Twitter is so stingy with their APIs that things that are very, you know, the thing I always drawn back to the official Twitter app for is the the mentions tab collates and collects things that people have done with your tweets really well. That's like the one like best thing about the official Twitter app. And they've tried to implement that through some tricks in Tweetbot. You <laughs> you have an activity button that will show you some of those things as an undifferentiated list of events. Um but it's just not as good and it's not their fault it's just yeah. the, the platform is biased towards the official client there's a non-neutral platform twitter but um <laughs> so i i i'm always like ah like i feel like i have to use the official client even though there's like then you get all whatever crap they want to throw in your timeline automatically this is such a weird position for a
1: company to be in where they're like, we have super dedicated users who put up with us through all of our nonsense. Every time we screw them, they just like turn the other cheek and come back for more. Um, But somehow we can't get them to give us money. Like they will put (laughs) up with infinite abuse for free, but they won't let us monetize their data. They won't look at ads. We try and serve them and they won't pay us money. Like it's, you got to feel for them a little bit. Like we build this thing. It's super successful and we're like, Going poor trying to keep the servers running. <laughs> huh. I don't know. I don't see myself going back to the native client soon. I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks since I switched to Phoenix on my phone, which is where I actually use Twitter the most. And I just installed TweetBot on my desktop because I was so happy with it on my iPad a few days ago, and it's amazing.
0: Yeah. At least I'm on the, super happy with uh, it. On the iPad and desktop, you can get the multi-column, so you can have your activity stream side by side. That helps a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I didn't really think about it until you said it, but... You know, when I talk to you, I find myself using that phrase a lot because you just, you inspire me, Mike, but, but the way they don't, uh, let third party clients, I always just assumed this was a design choice, but you know, if I'm at like a conference and I tweet something and I get like four or five favorites and I feel like a big shot or I get a handful of retweets or whatever, the fact that each one of those gets like a line item is sort of annoying. I like the official Twitter, like, Hey, these six people favorited your thing yeah, like that. Yeah. I can't believe they blocked that from people. It's so crappy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I wonder would, would, uh, basically would Tweetbot have to interpret your, I don't know how they implemented it. So I don't know how hard it would be to duplicate that. But presumably Twitter has done none work to help them. Are they, yeah, they
1: tweets have, you know, uh, fixed URLs. So if you were logging everything, you could say like, oh, these two favorites are pointing to the same unique Twitter URL. Yeah. But, that would mean storing huge amounts of data,
0: and I wonder if they basically have to crawl the public versions of tweets anyway to scrape who has favored it. I bet it's something really obnoxious like that.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I've never really dug deep into their API. We messed with it a little bit uh, actually when we were setting up Sunrise Robot. So when you share a link to an episode, you get the nice little card. Yeah, but that's like an officially supported thing. We didn't have to do any hackery for that. Um, yeah, this is uh, weird, the way they crap all over people. Cool thing about TweetBot, they expand Instagram links in line.
0: Yes, so that's the thing <laughs> that will keep me with TweetBot. Um, I, why, do they, why do they get away with that? Is that because if Twitter officially did it, Instagram would block them somehow, but they don't care about the little third-party client doing it? I don't
1: know which direction that I, it was.
0: Instagram that
1: hate-screwing is happening. Instagram
0: basically blocked Twitter from auto-showing them. Um, if if I remember correctly that and so that's why I feel like Twitter hasn't fixed that because they would just get blocked again.
1: Huh. Yeah, so it could be a domain thing, like, don't let auto expands happen from this domain, but with you know, Tweetbot or any of these third party clients, they're like, Oh, hey, we're not those guys, we're different guys. And uh we're gonna expand this image so it.
0: or it could be hackery. They could be like crawling the URL <laughs> So this was, it happened in 2012, which I don't remember when Facebook acquired Instagram, but it it may have been sooner than that. But um, Twitter said officially that Instagram has blocked us.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, you know, thumbs up Twitter for once you're not to blame for making your service (laughs) worse. Uh, I've got to believe that that was incredibly close in proximity to Facebook acquiring them. Yeah. Because, I mean, otherwise, uh, tweets were probably one of the biggest traffic sources for Instagram. They probably still are a huge traffic source. So that was in 2012.
0: Facebook bought yeah. Instagram in 2012. Coincidence.
1: Yeah, serious. <laughs> Shock and awe. Uh, oh, closed platforms. All right. You want to talk about this Amazon thing? Or yeah. Or you want to just put a bow on yeah, this? Yeah,
0: tell me about this.
1: So Amazon has come out with Handmade at Amazon, which is... So obviously their attempt to kill Etsy, because when you're a store that sells like multiple types of things, you want to sell everything so that people never leave. I mean, think about like Target or Walmart, like somebody shows up to buy, I don't know, a lightning cable for their iPhone, but then they also buy groceries and pants because... They sell all those things and Amazon, you know, historically the everything store and they've allowed people to do marketplaces. Like that's kind of been around for a while, but now they've officially made this handmade at Amazon, which is specifically for crafty. I built this thing or I made this thing or I painted this picture and I want to sell it to you using Amazon's like search engine and their payment engine and all the cool stuff you get for free with Amazon. So that's a thing. Like I don't, (laughs) Amazon has a lot of these initiatives that do not succeed and they've tried to get into this kind of space before, never quite this focused. Um, I don't know if I'm like a private seller, do I really care if people find my thing in search on Amazon? Probably. But Etsy has kind of made a name for itself. Like this might be a difficult space to step into.
0: Well and maybe they tried to buy Etsy and they failed and so they're like, well we're just gonna make our own then. You're a feature, Etsy, or as Steve Jobs said, the Dropbox. <laughs> <laughs> You're a feature. Yeah. Uh, wah, wah.
1: But I mean I I show up a lot on Amazon and if Amazon is willing to continually lose money forever so that I get amazing <laughs> shipping. You know, so if I buy something handmade as like a gift or, you know, it's like a -a one-of-a-kind thing that I want or a custom build or something, and I can get it with like two-day shipping and a super low price, uh, yeah, that'd be a little hard to turn down. And if I'm looking for a thing, like say I'm looking for like a a laptop case or something and intermingled with those like big brands are these little like handmade, bespoke, leather, hand-sewn, you know, laptop folios, then... I might be more inclined to buy that instead of leaving Amazon to go to Etsy yeah. and look for something like that. So if these results are surfaced in the the same search, then I could see this really screwing with
0: Etsy. So is this just them? Like I, I know, haven't people been able to sell stuff directly on Amazon already? Was that just more convoluted before, and this is like more directly accessible?
1: Well, so my understanding is. They have always had like Amazon Marketplace, which is where private sellers could sell things, but there were restrictions. It wasn't really obvious how to do it. If you were a user, it was a little unclear about what things were being sold by Amazon or by a company or just like by some weirdo. So there was like a little, and they never really embraced it because they probably get like amazing shipping deals in these giant bulk purchases from their vendors. And, you know, like, uh, I think Target and Best Buy, you can buy products from Best Buy on Amazon. So it's like, it's still Best Buy making the sale. They have to give like a little cut to Amazon, but they want, you know, if you're going to buy a stupid lightning cable or something like they want you to still buy it from them, even if it, they lose a little bit of money. Yeah. Whereas with Etsy, uh, I think your are you're a feature argument is actually pretty solid <laughs> because all their their focus is is like oh we sell handmade you know one-of-a-kind objects and now amazon is like us too it's (laughs) like how do you fight that how do you fight that yeah
0: i remember facebook getting in on this and i can't find anything about it now so they've either abandoned it or just buried it but maybe not so much the handmade etsy angle but it used to be like they had some kind of like garage sale mode of like sell your stuff on facebook to your friends and I don't know Ooh, Is that still there? It yeah. was more like a Craigslist model than anything. I I'm not the
1: right person to ask if it still exists, but I remember what you're talking about, and it was absolutely Craigslist style, like, oh, your friends are selling things you want to buy, you know? So it's like you're buying from someone you know, or a friend of a friend, or a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Of a friend, yeah.
0: friend, of a friend. Um <laughs> It's friends all the way what down. I th-
1: <laughs> what I think is is kind of cool about handmade at Amazon is the potential for me to cause I love Amazon's customer service. Like they have probably the hands down best customer service of any retailer I've ever worked with. And just seeing things that I might want surfaced in those search results I'm already on Amazon. I already trust them. I trust them with my payment information. I do not trust Facebook with payment information. Yeah. <laughs> if, if someone was like, oh, uh, you owe me 10 bucks from the bar the other night. I bought you that drink. Can you just send me money on Facebook? I'd be like, I guess our friendship's over because if that's the only way I can pay you back, then I am never paying you back. Like, <laughs> the, I I would rather mail you a check, certified mail, than trust Facebook with payment credentials. So... Yeah. I mean, Etsy's probably a little nervous. And I mean, I haven't interacted with that kind of market super extensively. I have actually bought a few things off Etsy, but this would freak me out. They're kind of a juggernaut and they really love to ruin other people's businesses.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Maybe I'll start making (laughs) handmade things just to try it out. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you that. So I know Shelby does some crafting. You know, I know you have like some unique custom artwork Like, would you be more comfortable buying something like that, like a one off from an artist that you've never heard of, if you knew it arrived in shabby condition? Amazon would guarantee it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a value there. And also my payment information is already set up. It's one it's an existing channel. I mean, Apple trumpets this every single time they have a any sort of media event. They're like, "And we have 5 billion credit cards on file." <laughs> and uh, that's kind of the same situation here. So, um there's definitely an advantage to I just saw a thing I wanted and I like, you know, burped at the screen and I get it now. Like <laughs> that's <laughs> Yeah, sign me up. Let's do this. Yeah, it does. I mean, you feel a little bad for Etsy though, right? <laughs> that they, they could potentially just like have their business ended. Um, As long as it doesn't hurt the, the, the mom and pop bespoke crafters, um, it can switch channels. I don't care. That
1: is an excellent point because you're really not hurting the crafting people and the painters and the musicians and the bespoke leather laptop case makers you're really hurting the middleman you're trading one middleman for another middleman and uh yeah i'm with you not a lot of guilt over that (laughs) sorry etsy go work at amazon handmade or handmade at amazon or whatever yeah
0: All right, and I think that's it for episode 89 of Flipping Tables. Thank you so much for listening. You can check out show notes for all these articles and videos. You should definitely uh, look at Twitter moments and decide if it's for you. I'd love to hear from listeners if you actually think there's some legs here or like us, you're kind of like, eh, not for me. Um, There's definitely uh, the Mario Maker stuff. If any of you have a Wii U, anyone out there, um, send me some (laughs) levels. I want to play your levels. I know Benji and Justin have been making levels. They should send me some um, so those show notes you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping 89 and uh, if you have any comments or you want to send us your Mario Maker level or complain about Twitter moments you can find us on Twitter so uh, you can tweet at me I'm at Music and Lions you are
1: at Lions in beta
0: that's awesome. And uh, you have an awesome username. Um, you can subscribe to our show. Uh, if you never miss an episode, it'll be automatically downloaded every week. Uh, our show will always be free. Um, you can use the RSS or iTunes button on our website from your phone. And uh, you know iPhones come with a podcast app. And if you need a suggestion, you could use Overcast. Overcast. Uh, I love Overcast. There's a recent conversation on the Accidental Tech podcast about um, supporting Overcast so that there are third party uh, podcast apps that succeed <laughs> so that, you know, Apple doesn't control this or something. Um, if you're on Android, you can use Pocket Cast or Podcast Addict, and then uh, you can use the buttons on our website or search for flipping tables and you should be able to subscribe. Uh, if you'd like to support us directly on Patreon, uh, we, we have a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And, uh, every dollar you send our way helps us keep our six show network going. And, uh, we're, you know, we just hit 200 episodes. We, we are serious about this this uh, very enjoyable hobby. We would probably do no matter what. But uh, you supporting us helps us uh, expand this and produce this. And a uh, special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Lana. We love you guys. So, so much.